Ibarim went so well for us. All right. Kathir and I went through our finances earlier this week. We worked out that we'd been spending too much. And at that point, I thought it was appropriate to confess that I had been buying a coffee every day on the campus. When society 
cannot forget. But even more so, how can God forgive? Because God never forgets. And he doesn't just know what we put up on social media. He sees everything. He sees the desires of our heart, those hidden thoughts we don't, anyone, we don't want anyone else to know. We would like to think that God will punish wrong. But the problem is he sees the wrong that we do. So how can he forgive that? Does he just sweep it under the carpet? If you ask a Muslim if Allah is just, they would say, yes, of course he is just. If you ask the person, is Allah loving? They would say, yes, Allah is loving. But when you stand before Allah on Judgment Day, will he be just or will he be loving? It actually seems like you can't have both. Which one will we choose? But how is a Christian God any different? How can God forgive when he never forgets? And that's the question on view when we get to Exodus chapter 33. Uh, last week in chapter 32, we saw that Israel committed idolatry on their honeymoon, as it were. Uh, Israel cheated on God. They made an image of a calf, and they said, Yahweh, the God who saved us, this calf, this calf is him. They deserved God's anger, but Moses stepped into the breach. He pleaded to God. He turned God's anger away. But when we begin this chapter, things are on a nice edge. Have a look, verse 31, verse 1. Open up your Bible, it's not on your outline. So if you have a Bible, open up to Exodus 33. If you don't have a Bible, just look on to the first one. Okay. Verse 1 of chapter 33. It says this. Depart, or what from here, you and the people who you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. He no longer identifies with his people. What's, God, what's more, God will no longer go with them. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked is a wonderful image. You can't turn to the left. You can't turn to the right. You're narrow-sided. You're stubborn. And so Israel mourned. They take off their ornaments, the same ornaments they use to make the golden part. And it's like they're saying we're removing all possibility of idolatry. Things are still on a nice edge. What will happen to Israel? It's at this point the narrative focuses on one person, the mediator that Israel needs, Moses. In verse 12, it is on your outline, Moses speaks to God on behalf of Israel. Like he did in chapter 32, he pleads with God, come with us, God. Don't send an angel, come with us. But before we get to the negotiating table between Moses and God, I have a question for you to wrestle with. Okay? You'll see it on your Bible, it's not on the outline. In verses 7 to 11, we have a flashback. We have a flashback to before the golden calf. Verse 7, Moses used to, take, used to go to the tent. It's past tense. It's a flashback to when Moses met with God in the tent of meeting before the golden calf. He used to go in and in verse 11 meet with God face to face. So the question that I have for you to work out is, 
How do we have a flashback here? See, when we read the Bible, one thing we have to learn is not just to ask, what is this passage saying? But also, how is this section contributing to the story? Why is it here? If you took verses 7 to 11 now, the narrative reads perfectly. Israel mourns, Moses pleads with God. But we have this little flashback here. So in your groups, you have three minutes. Why is this flashback here? What place does it have in the narrative? Three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's come back together. ATE, never What do people have? What answers do people have? What is the section doing? Two answers. Thoughts? show that they used to be close. Moses was able to talk to the Lord face to face, but now the Lord is with them. He's sending an angel on his behalf. Yeah, that's a wonderful answer, John. The contrast, isn't it? Moses used to go in and meet with God face to face. Now God's going to Other thoughts people have? Simon, Finn, at table. Finn? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, we'll think along some of that, just showing what it was. Yeah, yeah, showing what it was. Great. I think what this section does is it shows what their relationship used to be like. But also, it paints a picture of Moses. Face to face in Hebrew is clear. That is, there's no way of saying in Hebrew that you personally know someone. When you're in someone's presence, you're literally before their face. So it's not that so much that Moses saw God. With the idea that he knew God personally. And Moses went between God and Israel. Verse 7, if they sought God, they would go to the tent. But it was only Moses who went in. And so what I think what this section is telling us is that there's only one person you can mediate. There's only one person who can fix the situation. And it's Moses. And that's what he does in verse 12. So, verse 12, we're at the negotiating table between God and Moses, and we have three rounds of negotiation here, okay, where Moses pleads for God to go with Israel. Round 1, Moses asks for two things. Verse 13, request 1, show me your ways. That is, how can I do right by you? How do I follow you? How can I earn more favour? But significantly, request 2, consider your not just me. In other words, go with us. God responds in verse 14 by saying, my presence will go with you. Now here the you in the Hebrew is singular. In English, the only way of saying you in plural is use. But if you do that in an assignment, you tend to get marked down. <laughs> Moses says, consider us. God responds, I will, cons- I will go with you. Moses. That's round one. Moses hasn't said Round two. Moses keeps saying, I have found favour, but include your people. 
Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? He keeps including Israel. Go with us. And now God grants his request. Verse 17, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. There is the favor that Moses has with God is extended to the people. Round two, Moses succeeds. God will go with them. But there's a bonus round. Moses is audacious and he asks for one last thing. Second point on your outline, glory. It's round three, verse 18. Moses says, please show me your glory. Weird request, isn't it? Glory? I mean, if I said to you, if I said to Steve, Steve, show me your glory, what would you expect to see? Steve ripping off his shirt and <laughs> We don't say that very often. What does it mean? Show me your glory. In Hebrew, the essence of glory is heaven. It's the same word. You actually see it today. When someone expresses their splendor, their reputation, their glory, it's very heaviness. Here is a picture of King Charles reading the Queen's speech at the opening of Parliament this year. The royal crown weighs over a kilo, but I reckon the bling that he's wearing weighs even more. Here's a picture of my watch collection. He <laughs> here knows who Floyd Mayweather is. Yeah. Famous boxer, I think a few years ago, he was the richest athlete in the world. This is his watch collection. <laughs> Heaviness is a reflection of your splendor. And so glory, it's your reputation. Moses is asking God, who are you? Show me your essence. And he probably wants something tangible. Like when God ate and communed with them under the feet of Peter's sapphire, painted them like heaven. Show me who you are. Give me something to hold on to. What does God show? Look, verse 19. It's not what we expect. He shows his goodness. He shows his name. Now, whenever you see the Lord capitalized, it's the Hebrew verb of existence. I am, or I will be. It's how God revealed himself in Exodus chapter 3. He identifies himself as I will be. So in one sense, every time you see the word Lord capitalized, you can actually substitute in your head, I will be who I will be. So if you keep that in mind, have a look at verse 19 again. It's up here on the screen. This is his response. It's actually 19. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim to you my name. I will be who I will be, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. <laughs> what do you notice here? Can you see how the second sentence just expands on his name? This slide might make it a little bit more obvious. That is, what is the name of God? It's not just that he will always be, but it's that he will always be gracious. He will always show mercy. 
What is the glory of God? His essence. It's His grace and His mercy. And rather than a miracle or a visible sign, God speaks. And He speaks of His character. Which is such a contrast to the golden calf. Where people who want physical, tangible things. When you walk into a church, what do you see? Stained glass windows with a picture. What do you see in most temples? An idol. One of the most common objections I hear on campus to God is that if he was real, he would show himself to me right now, physically, tangibly. But rather than give us an image, he speaks his word. They say a picture speaks a thousand words. But the problem is that it can be whatever thousand words you want it to be. I go to the National Gallery, I spend more time reading the plaque than actually looking at the picture. That could just be me. It'd be different. But pictures only get us so far. God does reveal himself to us in tangible ways. When you look at creation, I hope you go, wow! Isn't there a wonderful creator? But that will only get us so far. For us to know who this creator is, we need an explanation. We need a more specific revelation. We need words. Here's a picture of Maori migration to New Zealand. Here's a picture of Hebrew migration in Exodus. Now, without words, Without explanation, what makes one different to the other? In one sense, they're just the migration patterns of two different people groups. But the reason why Hebrew migration is special in the Bible is because we have God's explanation of the events. He actually tells us why, and he speaks in words. I can tell God is sovereign, but until he speaks and explains things to me, I won't actually know anything about it. You can't understand something until they speak. What if I told you that on my first date with Matheria and I, we just sat there and looked at each other? It would be a really awkward first date. You actually can't understand God until he speaks. And he does in the scriptures. And the onus is on us to hear to understand. And what he gives Moses is far more important than a sign. It's far better than an impressive miracle. He speaks his character to him. And if we jump to chapter 34, that's precisely what God does. Verse 5, God descends in a cloud and proclaims his name. Verse 6, what happens when God passes by? His name, the Lord, the Lord, I will be, I will be, is proclaimed. It's the only time in the Bible his name is repeated like this. And what's at the heart of his name, of who he is? Verse 6, he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There's two aspects to this. He's merciful and gracious, yet he's just. 
He doesn't forget Now I have a simple question for you to work out. Two aspects. Which one is he more? Is he more merciful? Is he more just? Or is he equally both? Okay. You have one minute in your groups. Which one is he more Mercy, justice. <laughs> All right. Who votes for A? One is more just than merciful. Oh, there's a contrarian. <laughs> Who votes B? He's more merciful than just. There's a few more. Who votes C? He's equally merciful. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I'm a bit of a simpleton. If you look at verse 7, he has steadfast love for thousands, but he brings iniquity to the third and fourth generation. Which number is bigger? <laughs> 1,000 or 3 or 4? <laughs> In one sense, they're both. You can't let go of that. He's just. You can't let go of that. He's both. But God, in his essence, leans towards mercy. Which is why Israel's sins are pardoned. Verse 10, he renews his covenant with them. And God goes with Israel again. Let me return to my opening question. How can God forgive if he never forgets? God says here that he is both merciful and just. But the tension is how. And this is a question that I want you to wrestle with, okay? Remember, Tara begs for Jesus, I'm going to need to talk a lot. I think this is the last one. The question I want you to wrestle with is this. How is God able to pardon Israel's sin here? Israel's actions deserve death. It deserves punishment. But God, what has actually God done to them? He's pardoned Israel's sin. He goes with them. But how is that just? Doesn't it seem like he's just swept it under the carpet? Three minutes. How was able to go ahead and pardon the grass? Ever. Damn, you haven't been this before. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon? Back table. Back table, what do you reckon? Yeah, good idea, Dan. I think in Romans it talks about God passing over former sins with forbearance, and in Hebrews it talks about Christ being a single sacrifice for sins. Yeah, yeah. So Romans 3, pastor of all the sins. You're all very frustrating, you know, because you're all very well trained and well taught, which is good, because where I was going to go was Romans chapter 3. That is, the question of how God can pardon Israel's sin is actually a question that the rest of the Bible tries to answer. How is it that loving and just at the same time? We don't get that answer until we get to Jesus. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to go to the exact verse that Dan talked about. That's 25. This is to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Isn't that interesting? He had passed over former sins. He hadn't dealt with Israel's sin. He had simply passed over it. How is that just? 
Well, let's read from verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. The sins of Israel, passed over by God, are dealt with by Jesus when He died for us on the cross. Propitiation is a word we don't often hear. It basically means the turning away of anger. When Jesus died on the cross, the anger of God that he withheld from Israel, but that he actually withholds from all of us, falls on Jesus. Justice deserves punishment, and Jesus takes that punishment. You remember how in Exodus 32, Moses tried to take the punishment of the it's on the screen here, Exodus 32, 32. For now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please block me out of your book that you have written. For the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I'll block out my book. In other words, God doesn't accept Moses' offer. Why is it that Moses couldn't die for Israel, but Jesus could? Ethan comes up to me and hits me. <laughs> Would it be fair if I went to the police and reported Josh House? <laughs> Some of you are like, yes. <laughs> you actually can't punish an innocent third party. God can't accept the sacrifice of Moses because Moses didn't do anything wrong. He's an innocent third party. But he can't accept the sacrifice of Jesus because Jesus isn't a third party. It's actually God himself dying for us. The image of a, is of a judge declaring us guilty. And it would be unjust if that judge just punished a random person. But what he does is that he puts down his gavel. He walks down from behind his bench. He sits on our seat. And he says, take me instead. You see how that's just? But more than that, you see how it's a thousand times more than this. Is Allah loving? A Muslim will say yes. Is Allah just? A Muslim will say yes. But how can he be both? That tension is never resolved because in Islam there is no cross. Because of the cross, Romans 3.26 is able to say that he is just, but also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He can show you this. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a world where there's no justice. Uh, Hannah Arendt, who I quoted before, was famous for reporting on the Nuremberg trial post World War II. I don't want to live in a world where people can commit atrocities and walk free. And a God who won't hold people to account is a terrible thing. But I also don't want to live in a world where there's no forgiveness. How did society cope after the atrocities of World War II? This is what one writer said. Without such collective amnesia, Europe's astonishing post-war recovery would not have been possible. The price paid was a certain amount of collective 
selective collective forgetting, notably in Germany. But then, in Germany above all, there was much fear. You see, when the evil is so great, what they can do is pretend that it doesn't happen. Somehow move on and get on with life. But Christian forgiveness is different. God sees everything you do. He knows. He remembers. He doesn't forget. But he chooses to take the penalty himself by dying on the cross. And so, friends, don't look elsewhere to cleanse your guilt. Come to Jesus. The forgiveness that he offers is unlike anything else. That's great. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are just and fair, that you remember our sins, but even more than that, you are merciful. Thank you that because of that, you choose not to wipe us out, that you choose to come into this world in Jesus to take punishment for us. So help us to come to you for forgiveness, knowing that no matter what we have done, our slate is wiped clean. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.